0: Hi, and welcome to Dear Dyslexic podcast series. I'm your host and fellow dyslexic, Shay Wissell. Dear Dyslexic is a community and resource space for everyone, but in particular for young people and adults who have dyslexia. So my question today is, have you ever been so lost in a shopping centre car park you needed to follow someone to get out? Well, I have. Difficulty reading maps and navigating my way around is a pretty common experience, for me and also for lots of others with dyslexia. A passion for literacy and a love of books though, well that's something you probably wouldn't think of for people who have dyslexia. Getting lost, a love of books and reading are all things that my guest today and I have in common. My guest had a busy year in 2015. She was named Senior Australian of the Year as well as a Children's Laureate for 2014-15. She's the author of more than 140 books and has won more than 60 international and national awards. She's an advocate for reading, literacy, and supporting those who have dyslexia, an honorary wombat, and she herself has dyslexia. I'm very excited to be welcoming Jackie French. Thank you, Jackie, for joining me today. A pleasure. So, Jackie, Dear Dyslexic is all about raising awareness of the successes and challenges of young people and adults who may be transitioning from school into higher education or into the workforce. Can you tell us a little bit about your primary and secondary school years and how your diagnosis of dyslexia came about?
1: No one even knew the word dyslexia when I was at school. Um, at primary school, um, I still remember the terror. We had to read a word on the board each. And not only could I not read the word, I, I, I didn't even know what people were talking about. I find it almost impossible to focus on a single word. Um, but I'd already taught myself to read around about the age of three, and halfway through the first year at school, I illegally snuck into the library at lunchtime, and I was leaping my way frantically through Black Beauty, got some lots of text, which I found very easy to read because it was all in a block, and I could just skim it. And I still remember my teacher and the headmistress standing over me trying to work out how this kid who couldn't read Run Spot Run Um, was frantically trying to finish Black Beauty in one lunch hour and asking me questions about it and and realizing, yes, I I actually was reading this. Now, in retrospect, they were extraordinary women. Um, Miss Davies was probably only about 18. Back then, you could leave school at 16. Um, Primary school teachers only needed two years of instruction, and we were her first class, and she had this for two years. Um, There were about 40 kids in the class, but by the end of year two, every single one of us could read and write. Um, she was magnificent. She realized that even though my handwriting, look, I really couldn't write, and in fact I still have enormous problems writing longhand. Um, hand, um, I couldn't do um, arithmetic. But there were some things I could do Extraordinarily well, like tell stories and read very, very, very quickly. And she realized it wasn't that I was daydreaming, it wasn't that I was being lazy. I could not do these things, but I wasn't stupid. And I think if I'd had any other teacher, I really don't know what would have happened to me in the school system. But just those two things made all the difference. She knew that I was trying and she also knew and made it obvious I wasn't dumb despite mm-hmm. the fact I couldn't write despite the fact I couldn't do arithmetic and despite the fact I couldn't spell and I still can't spell and it is incredibly difficult to read my writing. I met my old history teacher some years ago and he said uh, um, he became a professor of history um, later in his career and he said oh yes yes one of my few brilliant students I've ever had but look I'll tell you what You're by far the worst writer I've ever come across. (laughs) Um, My my handwriting is appalling. In fact, um, the last email from my English teacher at high school, um, she was reminiscing about the first essay of mine that she'd read. And she put it aside with all of those that really looked as though they would definitely fail because of the handwriting, because of the spelling. And then she'd read it and and loved it. And she handed it to her husband and said, Oh, look, you've got to read this. And she said he um, looked at it for about five or ten minutes and then said, um, what language is it in? <laughs> <laughs> um, my, when I say my writing is bad and my spelling is bad, um, it is impossible to overstate oh, I don't feel how so bad, bad my spelling is. And the problem, too, is, of course, I don't realise when something is badly spelled. Yes, today you can use a spell checker. And this is what I tell kids. Um, It is so much harder when you're younger, but the older you get, the more further you get in education, the more people focus on your ideas, and the less the handwriting and the spelling matter. These days, handwriting does not matter because, of course, um, just about everything is done electronically or can be printed out. Um, Spelling almost doesn't matter. But there still is a problem with, I mean, spell checkers now are very, very good, but they do substitute words. I think one of my worst was um, the book, The Camel Who Crossed Australia, where my spell checker decided to substitute uh, condom instead of camel, (laughs) which became the condom which crossed Australia, which actually made actually sold far better than the camel across Australia. Um, but the readership would have been somewhat different and my yes. reputation may have been destroyed. There with. Luckily, the editor picked it up. So, but look, by and large, and this is so important for any, any dyslexic kid, the further you go in education, the easier it gets. And there will be a point where your ideas are so much more important than your handwriting and your spelling. But also too, yes, it is going to take much longer for you, often to learn to write, to learn to um, to learn to read. Um, dyslexia. There is no one form of dyslexia. Despite a whole lot of um, people. Who would actually like to define it very, very narrowly to fit into their specialisation? Uh-huh. Dyslexia is literally just that—a problem. Dyslexia, a problem with reading, and a problem with reading. Where in fact you don't have other problems. Um, for example, um, you you don't have major eyesight problems, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Your problem is with reading, and there can be many, many reasons. that. So it does mean that for some kids with dyslexia, like me, you will find once you learn to read, you'll be able to read incredibly quickly. Um, I am the fastest reader I've ever come across, but others will find it very, very hard to learn to read. But once you've learned, you are probably going to find that you are faster and better than most other people. There was a study of People with brain injury in the USA about 1995 um, with what you might call required dyslexia, and they found out that the verbal IQ went up by an average of 15 points. It was almost as though the visual suppressed the verbal, which is often what you do find. Once people with dyslexia do learn to read and write, we often do it far faster and far better um, than our genetic potential might suggest. Now, it doesn't mean if you're dyslexic, you're a genius, no, but it does mean that you are possibly much more verbally intelligent than your genetic background would suggest you were going to be. So it is worth working at it. It is much, much harder when you begin but the one thing I can promise is it will become easier and easier and then it will become incredibly
0: easy. It's interesting but, because I'm like you. where I absolutely love to read and that's my time out from the world actually is to curl up in bed with a book. But I was speaking with Catherine Devaney and she will rarely read a book yet she's written so many books. So I, I find re- it really interesting how some of us love to read but others do not like it at all.
1: I think often um, with that it's often because, it, look, it's so very easy to teach a kid that they're stupid and to, well, look, it's like um, Pavlov, the experimenter, giving electric shocks to his dogs so they, were, um, so, um, so they avoided eating. Um, it's almost as though we condition kids to hate reading. Um, if kids have a negative experience of reading for long enough, um, they are probably never going to want to read as an adult they're going to associate books and reading with pain and shame and failure and embarrassment so how do you um, we want... teach kids to hate
0: books? How do you go when you're going out talking to children and parents and other people around i think particularly you know boys that have dyslexia can end up um, having a lot of challenges if you know with education and their literacy skills and can become quite disengaged. So how do you ensure that children at a young age stay engaged with reading to help improve their literacy skills and help improve their dyslexia?
1: They need the help of adults. So it's often adults, as I'm talking to, as much as the kids. With the kids, all I can do is promise, this is the worst part of your life now. Don't worry. It gets better and better and better. And yes, you can read and you will read. And there are evidence-based programs that you will read. But what I tell adults is that every kid can read. I've now been associated with a literacy program for over eight years. Every child has learned to read above the age range um, for them. Every child can read, but they need evidence-based programs. Um, A few years ago, I thought that we really needed to find out the cause why kids weren't reading, to work out how to help them. Um, now, programs like Multinit and a whole range of evidence shows that it doesn't matter why a kid can't read, they still need programs tailored to them to teach them to read. Mm-hmm. There is no one-size-fits-all. There is no um, never believe any snake oil salesman who says, this will teach all kids to read in mm-hmm. three weeks or what have you. There are so many oil salesmen around with with miracle cures. There are no cures and, yes, there is nothing, nothing that can be done except one-on-one tuition at least for an hour a day, at least three days a week, continuously. And that will work. Absolutely unequivocally, that will work. But also, if the kids don't get that, um, one in 11 of our children will not learn to read and certainly not learn to read um, at international benchmark standards. So it's also trying to convince our adults too that, look, there are two great areas where we lose readers, whether they're dyslexic or not. Um, one is when they're just starting to learn to read. And... Um, Whenever I go to schools, well, not whenever, but occasionally I go to schools now. Um, I ask, looking quite innocent, ah, up, um, who now? Who do you think should sit on the Iron Throne? I am Game of Thrones, and every kid, as young as eight, will put their hands up. Now, I am not advocating watching Game of Thrones for kids. I'm not sure that it's even suitable for me. I watch most of it with my eyes shut. These kids are probably watching pirated copies on a friend's device and their parents don't know about it. But you can't expect kids who are watching Game of Thrones to be satisfied with Spots Big Adventure. Which is no, probably definitely all they can not. <laughs> or even a very, very funny small white book, which they might enjoy, until triumphant for having read but it won't lead them on to read another one so we need to read to our kids read to them and keep reading to them until they say please stop it's embarrassing but be prepared for them never to say that even when dad was 84 the phone would ring and say oh look it's dad here have you read thomas cannelly's latest and he'd start reading to me over the phone and that meant when he had his final stroke and he couldn't read his Kids still read to him. Mm. And I should be lucky enough to have that happen to me. Keep reading to your kids until they say stop. When one person actually does the washing up or puts things away, someone else reads. When you ask kids, um, how many of you have to clean your room? Every hand goes up. Who wants to clean your room? There's always a couple of goody goodies who put, (laughs) put their hand up. Who would love to clean their room if someone read to them? and every hand waves wildly in the air. If you want your kids to vacuum the house, wash the car, clean their room or what have you, all you need to do is say, do it, and I'll read to you while you do it. Um, You may never, ever, ever have to scrub the bathroom again as long as you're prepared to read. The other time comes often in late adolescence, early teenagehood, in fact, um, a... The girl that I mentor is now um, helping work her way through uni um, by living at a boarding house with boys. So there's an adult, one of the adults there who will be there overnight. And she found to her horror at the beginning of the year that every single boy there said that books were boring and none of them, none, none of them read, none of them would even pick up a book to read. So she bribed them. She said she would make cocoa with marshmallows <laughs> every night for any boy who would read just for five minutes, only five minutes any book you want and here's a lovely here's a lovely choice here we are mum. there's thirty books you can choose any book any book, and just read for five minutes and you'll get cocoa and marshmallows now by the end of the term, they were forming book clubs, they were swapping books they were getting they were haunting the library, but they also. Just about every boy sent her a card or a letter of thanks, One, and some of them were so moving. One boy saying that um, he'd come top in English. He'd never got more than 72%, and he was top. And others saying, I did 10% better. And they were, they were just so absolutely stunned, um, because the problem is about that age. Kids are transitioning from children's books to either young adult books or for adult books. So they're no longer interested in the sorts of books they were reading before, but they don't know where to go next. and. Adults are children's enablers. If kids are watching TV or doing video games, well, who bought the TV? Who bought the video games? Mm, that was
0: my question. Is in a world now, in a society where everything's Facebook, everything's mobile phone, everything's television, gamifying, yeah, but um, how do we ensure that these books that we have such a love for and the love of literacy that yeah, still it's, is, is within families?
1: It's, it's really interesting. Um, again, I ask um, who watched TV last night? Every hand goes up. Who was bored? Eighty percent of the hands go up. Why were you watching? There wasn't anything else to do. Mm -hmm. Um, What do we expect kids to do? Wave a magic wand and suddenly a book appears? Um, Kids are only going to be reading books if adults have actually provided the books and provided the sort of books that are interesting or even better. Let kids become free-range readers find a library with a good coffee shop, sit down with a cup of coffee and a nice piece of cake and a magazine, having shown the kids particularly where the magazines and the non-fiction shelves are as well, and then take out as many books as the kid would like and that you're allowed to take on your card too, and most importantly, tell them that you only have to read each one for five minutes. If it's boring, put it down, get another one. Books aren't like broccoli. You don't have to finish every bit on your plate because it's good for you. Yes, books are good for you. Reading is good for you. But that's not why we do it as adults. We do it because we love it. Mm. And we need to teach kids this too. If a book's boring, put it down, get another one. And if the book you're studying in class is boring, don't yell, it's boring. It's boring quietly discuss it with the teacher and you may be absolutely startled that they love the idea that you're bored with the book and you want another one, please. And if by some chance you have to study that particular one, like Romeo and Juliet or Macbeth, don't ever feel that you have to say it's fascinating. If you say, I think this book is boring because, and then give reasons, you will probably get very, very high marks indeed. Indeed. Never, ever feel you need to pretend that a boring book is interesting.
0: So what about those children's uh, example is Shakespeare. As someone that's dyslexic, I found it quite hard to read. And, you know, Shakespeare's on the syllabus throughout your schooling Mm. years. So how do we go about supporting young people at school that, you know, are coming up with books like that that are challenging or other areas that they're struggling with that um, might be some good strategies or tips for them? Or for educators um, using these books on their syllabuses?
1: I think the really big thing is, is to forget about things like asking for tips, um, forget about asking for speaking books, etc. etc. Um, we've been doing that for too long. Doing that is actually like putting band-aids on an amputation. Um, these kids deserve to learn to read. So there is no problem reading Romeo and Juliet. I'm dyslexic. I can read Romeo and Juliet. I can't read a traffic sign. Um, I cannot read a map. I cannot get out of a car park. I can't read directions. I can't read a shopping list. I can't fill in a medibank form. I cannot read those but I can read Romeo and Juliet.
0: So what do you think the difference is between reading a novel and then having to be able to read something that's a really practical day-to-day thing that you need to do?
1: Because um, when you read a large amount of text, you don't have to be able to understand every word. You can actually miss one word in seven or even one word in four, and it's still going to make sense. Mm. And that's very much the case with Shakespeare, where there are actually quite a lot of words that you can actually miss out on. And still get the gist of it. Whereas on a form, um, if you miss out one word like yes or no, um, you are going to be in trouble.
0: Well, I um, must say, yeah, the tax form, I yeah. still tick the wrong, am I a citizen for taxation purposes or whatever, and I always get that wrong no matter how many times I read it.
1: So yeah, I was ha- threatened with deportation in my first year at university. I'd filled out my application form for university incorrectly. And they thought I came from another country other than Australia. Actually, I never did find out what country I'd accidentally kicked <laughs> and I was going to be deported to um <laughs> I so here's New that I'd get them do it and um <laughs> and and I might have got a free trip back again, but then again it may, may have been a not very nice country um so you got so the opportunity to go to university? yes, I did, I did, and again. There were problems, there was actually any problems with one lecturer. A surprising number of university staff are also dyslexic. As I said, um, once you learn to read, um, this, dyslexics are usually more intelligent than their genetic potential would suggest. So you'll find an extraordinary number of staff at universities are either dyslexic themselves, have got dyslexic kids, or understand the problem. But the main problem now is for so long, we didn't have any evidence-based studies to show what worked, Mm. how you can teach someone to read. So, no, I'm not going to give any tips because the time for giving tips is long past. Instead, what anyone who has got problems, whether they are three years old or whether they are 97, they need someone who is a qualified tutor in an evidence based program like Multinit, they need at least three days a week tuition, at least an hour at a time, but preferably even six days a week and an hour at a time. And after about three weeks, in most cases, they will be able to read. They will still actually have a lot of literacy problems Mm. because there's a lot to catch up with, but they will be able to read. So look, no tips, no hint, no amanuensis no talking books, none of those Band-Aids that we have been given. No mothers writing the assignments for you while the kids dictate, no tape recorders. Forget about the Band-Aids, because in the long run, the Band-Aids just make the problem worse and convince the kids that they need a crutch to support them. So there is know. nothing, absolutely nothing that substitutes for learning to read in an evidence-based way. Program in a systematic way, and every person in this country
0: deserves that. Yes, it's a de- uh, literacy is a determinant for um, all positive outcomes or negative. If you don't get the, if you don't get your literacy skills when you're young and the education, but outside of reading, I know for me with my dyslexia it impacts mm-hmm. my handwriting's terrible and um, oh, sequencing yeah. of my words and grammar and things like that. So I have strategies at work with. Text to speech to help me hear my mistakes, and you do a lot of writing, so have you found that your dyslexia impacted your writing?
1: Um, oh yes, um, what I do is I, I employ someone to actually read my work before it, before it goes to the publishers or before it goes into the newspaper columns um, and to' actually taking the holiday, so I was actually just book checking some myself and a few of the editors writing me sort of tactful emails saying, look, there are a few interesting um, substitutions, but I think the sub-editor has picked them all up, Um, very tactfully not actually telling me exactly what they were. Um, I think the main thing, though, is stop being embarrassed. And that, thankfully, is what Miss Davies taught me in my first year at school. Um, I am not stupid. And... All of, I mean, no one, no one is perfect. We all, we all do actually silly things. We can't all do some things. Be open about the fact you're dyslexic. Be open about the fact that um, there are things you can't do. I'm now quite open. When I go to the doctor's surgery, for example, I can't read a form. I'm sorry, I can't read that. I can't fill it in. Um, when I applied for um, a credit card, a new credit card a couple of months ago, um I rang them up, and they said you can do it online. And look, I just said no. Look, I'm sorry, I'm dyslexic. I can't fill in forms. Do you mind if we do this on the phone? Um, I am no longer embarrassed by my dyslexic, by my dys- dyslexia. But look, it's probably okay for me. 160 books later, and I don't know how many awards. I finally accepted. I am not dumb. I can say no. I can't do this. I'm dyslexic could you please do it for me? But about three years ago, I went to a prison, a men's prison. Every man there except one admitted they could not read. And as one of them said, look, you can't even get a job stacking shelves at a supermarket anymore with health and safety if you can't read. What choices did I have? Now, admittedly, I think he probably had more choices than armed robbery, but he had a point. Reading programs are much cheaper than prisons, and I suspect Australia would not have needed that medium security prison if we had adequate reading programs. Most of those men will become recidivists. They will probably go out, commit more crimes, and come back again. But if they had adequate remedial reading programs there and a bit tutor, then they would probably be able to get jobs and, for that matter, the social lives, which increasingly depend on things like actually texting and Facebook, etc. Texting, by the way, is something I can't do. And again, no. you just simply say, I'm dyslexic. Um, um, I really, I can't, I can't manage to text. I can email you, but I can't text. I'm sorry. It's
0: amazing how often I get into trouble from family and friends because yes. of my text messaging. And I yes. just want to say, you know, I'm dyslexic, and it's not a strength texting, because yes. you know, so for me, call me, and I'll be able to explain myself okay. in two seconds.
1: So, so you, the thing is, you just need to do it. It's look, it's the same as if you had a prosthetic hand you'd actually have to um, explain, no, I'm sorry, I can't feel the texture of the material. Um, this is just something we, we actually have to, we have to live with, we have to accept, but the really big thing is don't be ashamed of it, keep reminding people, don't be ashamed when you need to say, can you please fill in the form, or ring me up, do not text,
0: uh-huh. or even
1: have a message set up on your phone. So automatically, if someone sends you a text, it comes back. Um, Many apologies, I am dyslexic. Could you please call me on this number?
0: And I guess the problem is, and what I'm trying to do with the Dear Dyslexic website, is to start raising some more awareness of Mm. the impacts for adults and Mm. so so that I can go into the workplace and say, hey, I'm dyslexic, I need a couple of these supports, but I'm actually really, really good at my job. Exactly. And um, at the moment... You know, you really can't do that without the fear of um, being discriminated against or ending up losing your job. So um, I commend you for being able to be out there and open, and I try to be as much as I can. And Catherine, today when she was speaking, she's always out and open about. And I hope in time that it's just common language like anything else that we would talk about.
1: I think maybe we need a T-shirt printed or even a button. Um, I'm a dyslexic um, Enjoy the positives and get used to the (laughs) the negatives or what have you. It's something to say to employers, look, you get the benefit of my being dyslexic. Um, Have a little bit of tolerance for Mm. the problems. And the problems really um, are not very frequent. And um, one one of the biggest ones, in fact, is actually just the small silly mistakes of of condom instead of camel. Mm. And it's a matter of... um, being prepared to have yet another joke in the office, hey, look what she's done now, Um, and thinking, actually, hey, that's really funny. I mean, it really is funny. Yes. (laughs) Um, Not being embarrassed, because most of the time, the mistakes that we made or things we can't do really don't matter. I can't find my way out of a car park, but that's okay. I actually just stop, put the window down, and I ask someone, "Um, can I please follow you out of the car park? I've never found anyone um, at all uh, ever ever who so isn't happy um, to get this um, strange woman the car out of the car park that's a very that? famous strange
0: woman <laughs> um,
1: it's um, well after all we're both in our cars the window was only down a tiny little bit I'm, not, I'm obviously uh, I'm not going to be able to mug them just by following them out of the car park um people once you say it um, I've never had anyone make fun of me. No. Um, I've never had anyone refuse to help me. On the contrary, the number of times um, people have walked up and said, Oh, are you? my nephew is dyslexic. Now, have you got any tips on how to help him? Um, most of the time, in fact, when you ask for help... Um, the, the real problem is you then get a 45-minute discussion on, on, on their dyslexic nephew or the fact that they're dyslexic or their mum their mummies or some other thing like that. Um, but I have never, ever, ever had anyone... Um, now I've been an adult. Once I've admitted I'm dyslexic, think I'm stupid. If you don't admit you're dyslexic and make a mess of it, yes, they may think you're dumb. But if you say, I'm dyslexic... Every time you say, I'm dyslexic, can you help me? What you're really doing is standing there, obviously intelligent, obviously incapable, and you are being a poster for dyslexia. You are teaching the public dyslexic does not mean dumb. Dyslexic usually does mean incredibly bright, incredibly capable. But there are some things we cannot do, but on the other hand um, I can't run a mile sorry, a kilometre in a minute my knees don't work very well and I'll never be a supermodel Um, in the light of all of that, not being able to actually fill out the form for a new credit card is very, very small, particularly when you can do it on the phone and the person on the other end um, again accepts it and is very nice indeed
0: So are there any um, any things you'd like to see change over the next five years to support young people, adults and children who are dyslexic?
1: Deeply. First of all, um, every child needs to be screened at the beginning of school for dyslexia. They need to be screened at the beginning of every school year for learning problems to make sure they reach benchmarks. Um, We need to get rid of programs like reading recovery, um, and we need to only spend money on evidence-based programs that have been shown to work. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to forget about miracle cures. Um, use this device or this device or this light or what have you. Um, only, only use things that are peer-reviewed and evidence-based. But also we need community literacy programs because we need family literacy Dyslexia often runs in families. Um, Look, I know my mother is dyslexic, my brother's dyslexic, but I only found out two years ago he hit it very, very well. Mm. (laughs) Um, My father couldn't write, my grandfather, who was a neurosurgeon and and a psychiatrist couldn't write, couldn't spell, but he said with glee that's one of the reasons he became a doctor, because everyone knows no-one can read doctor's handwriting. <laughs> and look, it didn't matter for him, it didn't matter for dad, because in those days you could have a secretary who did shorthand and you just dictated. Yeah. Um, so it, it really didn't, it really didn't matter. Um, we need community-based literacy programs where adults as well as kids can get help. Yeah. And probably I think the best place to put them is is actually libraries, where you can actually get the help with literacy and you can get the books. Because it's not just kids. In many areas of Australia, more than 40% of adults can't read well enough to read the front page of a newspaper. Mm, And reading problems are often as cultural as they are genetic that um, if your parents can't read or even your grandparents, you don't get read to. So we desperately need screening for dyslexia at the beginning of school, screening for reading problems right through school, um, evidence-based programs right through school, um, ones that don't just give an hour a week but give at least three days a week of at least an hour that continue year after year after year, as new problems develop, which they will, um, and also programs for everyone and if we do that, um, the Australian economy is going to be a heck of a lot richer you can 't have a clever country without people who can read, mm. and it is much, much cheaper to have community reading literacy programs than it is to have medium security prisons or for that matter, the graffiti and the aggression. We now know that um, aggression is a symptom of depression. Mm -hmm. Um, The biggest study ever done of violent terrorists showed that every single one of them had shown symptoms of depression in in adolescence and early teenagerhood. It is far, far... Literacy programs are far cheaper than terrorism and the
0: sorts of crimes that gain people in prison. And um, the Dear Dyslexic website touches on some of the issues that those that have been in contact with the justice system face when they've got poor literacy skills as well. So I'm so glad you touched on all of those areas, which I'm hoping to cover and a real <laughs> strong evidence base because that's what I'm all about with Dear Dyslexic. So yes. thank you so much for coming on the show today, Jackie, and for giving us an insight into your life and all your amazing achievements, which Thanks. I'm well, sure you've inspired us all to go out there and hopefully read, 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 and that um, regardless of having dyslexia, that we can all accomplish, achieve, and, and succeed. So and thank look, you so and much.
1: Look, and look, to anyone who's my age, I'm in my 60s, um, it's not too late to get a literacy tutor. Um, I taught my next-door neighbour to read when she was 78, um, And I have to say, this was one dyslexic teaching, another dyslexic. (laughs) And if we could do it, anyone can. It is not too late. Find an experienced tutor and you'll enter the most extraordinary world once you find it easy to read.
0: Thank you so much, Jackie. Best of luck with everything. And if you'd like to find out more about Jackie, her upcoming events, books and all things to do with wombats, you can go to www.jackiefrench.com. And I look forward to speaking to you all next time. Until then, bye for now.